Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much, Edwina. Thank you so much, worship team. I really am excited, just as I've been sitting, as we've been worshiping and just hearing the words being shared. I feel like God is saying so many things, but at the same time, I feel like he's saying one thing. And it just chucked so many pieces into the mix, and I was trying to put them all together. And God was like, just let me do that. But there have been many connections for me, and as we go through the message this morning, God will make connections for you. Everything from him being our rock and our salvation, to us being no longer slaves to fear, uh, to him doing a redeeming work, to him being the one that needs to be praised. I think there's just so much God is saying and really trust that there's going to be something significant for you this morning. But uh, if you are new, like Grant said, like Mark said, we just want to say a massive welcome to you. We started a series called Deep Clean last week. Joe kicked us off and we're really excited about this series because this is what we believe God wants to do, not only in our lives personally, but as a church, corporately, just as deep clean where the freshness and the newness of God is experienced by us, and God sets us up to do some amazing stuff. But the picture that Grant shared with us as a pastoral team as we were talking about this, the picture that God gave to him for this for this series was one of a wasteland. And if you're at our AGM, you'll know that Grant shared a short clip from the movie The Lion King, where Simba returns after being kicked out of his kingdom, and the land is desolate and barren. There's skeletons and skulls lying everywhere, and there's absolutely nothing growing. But as the king returns, so there's a sense in which the new rains come, and new life comes, and things start to grow and bloom and flourish again. And we really believe that this is what God wants to do in our lives, in our hearts, for us as a church and for you as an individual. But a scripture that came to mind as Grant was sharing was from Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1 to 14. And it says this, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, only you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and and I will cause you to have flesh upon you, and come over you with skin. And I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Just have a real sense that this is a prophetic word and message for those of us who are going to encounter God through this series and on this journey, and for us as a church. And especially as we deal with this series and look at today's topic, which is the forgiveness of our sins and the receiving of forgiveness. Such a significant word, such a significant message, such a significant topic because many in the church really are dry and weary and heavy laden because of sin. For so many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, the reason why we're suffering with depression and discouragement and feel defeated in life is because of ongoing habitual sin that we've kept to ourselves. And I want to be very clear Not everybody who suffers with those things is as a result of sin. But you know that there are many who carry stuff that are unspoken and unconfessed that is as a result or is resulting in weakness and brokenness and a need to be restored. There are so many in the church where the consequences of wrong choices reverberate through our lives and burden us really like an unrelenting taskmaster. 
And even if we know the willingness of God to forgive, many people reason that God would never be able to forgive them. And even if he can forgive them, there's no way that he would forgive them and then restore them to usefulness in his kingdom. But I want to say this, that to those who are feeling this way, to those who ask this morning, as Roland's sharing, and I hear this, God, can you and will you forgive me? Can you use me again despite what I've done? The word of the Lord to you is this. If he can restore valley of dead and dry bones and bring them back to life, then he can most certainly and he will forgive you and restore you back to usefulness and refresh you like he did for that valley. In fact, he very much desires to do that. This is the heart of God. This is exactly what he desires to do. The Lord desires for you to experience a deep cleaning work in your life as he offers you forgiveness and you need to be able to receive that. So today as we look at the receiving of forgiveness, we're going to look at two people. We're going to look at King David and how he shares with us his story through the Psalms, Psalm 31, Psalm 32, and Psalm 51. And then I'm going to share a little bit of my life with you and how I've experienced this deep cleaning work of God. And trust that God is going to minister to you and that your hearts will be open to receive no matter how difficult it may be to be challenged by the Holy Spirit this morning. So the first thing we need to know is this. God desires to forgive. Have a look at what David says in Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When David wrote this, it was not something he was longing for. It's not something that he was hoping would happen. Or that was theory for him. As David pens these words in the psalm, it's something that he has experienced. He's writing from experience. He's saying, I have been forgiven, therefore I'm blessed. My sin has been covered, so I am blessed. The Lord does not count or hold my iniquity against me. And in my spirit there is no deceit because God has cleansed me. If you know the story of David, you'll know that he was a man who was anointed king over Israel. One of the greatest leaders God's people had ever seen. And despite his love for God and being a man called a man after God's own heart, David falls into sin Big time. I'm not going to recount every detail of his sin. You can go read about it in the book of 2 Samuel. But essentially, David is in his palace when he's supposed to be at war with his men. So he's not where he's supposed to be. Because he's not where he's supposed to be, he sees what he's not supposed to see. And so he sees a lady bathing on a rooftop and he then desires her. And so he sends word to find out who she is. And he finds out that she is the wife of Uriah. Her name's Bathsheba. Uriah was one of his mighty men. His loyal men who was on the battlefront fighting. David, despite knowing that this was one of his good friend's wives, still calls her to come around. And because she, he's the king, she can't say no. So she comes around to the palace and David entices her and they sleep together and she falls pregnant. When David finds out that she's pregnant, he then makes plans to have Uriah killed. Despite all of that, David, we'll see in a moment, was a man who experienced the forgiveness of God. David was a man who, in whom God produced and performed a deep cleaning work. As I read those scriptures and as I share with you this morning, I can tell you honestly that I've also experienced this deep cleaning work of God and I'm not talking about my salvation. 
I can relate to David that even after coming to know Jesus, even after giving my life to him, I messed up and messed up big time. And this wasn't the only time I messed up, but I want to use this story as a way of just being open and having you understand that if God can work in me, he can work in you as well. So when I first gave my life to the Lord, I got involved at a church in the town that I'm from, East London. And I was a young, young adult, but God had done an amazing work in my life, and I was on fire for Jesus. I was passionate about the Lord. And so gave up my day job, went into full-time ministry. I did a year of your life program called RFM, a little Baptist church called Sterling Baptist Church in East London. Did a year one, did year two, year two, I was blessed to be the team leader uh, and was responsible for making sure that the first year RFMers did what they're supposed to do, were encouraged, equipped, and that they had like an older brother on the team. The second year of RFM was the first year for another girl, a young girl, who I got infatuated with. You weren't allowed to be in a relationship with anybody on this ministry because it was the covenant thing that you made right in the beginning because they wanted your mind to stay clear. But guys, you know what I'm talking about. And ladies, there's a sense in which relationship consumes you. And so like, this was what you promised to do. This is what you'll do. We're not saying relationships are bad. They're just not now. And we had said yes, but because I desired to be in relationship with this girl so badly, we, can't, we, we kicked against the goad. We rebelled against authority. We birthed a relationship in secrets. And we would hide away and hang out with each other where no one could see us. And we thought no one was watching. And God's word is clear about this. There's this biblical principle that whatever is birthed in secret and in darkness produces fruits of darkness. And so as much as the relationship might have been a good thing and relationship is a good thing, this one was bad because it was completely against what we were supposed to be doing. Long story short, that relationship developed and led to a point where her and I were sexually involved and we were sleeping together. Here I am, leading a ministry, a leader in the church, on a team with people who are looking up to you, who expect you to be living a life of integrity and authenticity and transparency, and we are both perpetually slipping into the space and place that we shouldn't have. That's the beginning of my story, and it's very similar to David's. But like David learned that the heart of God is to forgive, so I learned as well through this process that God's heart is not to hold stuff against us, but to redeem us from it. The cross came not as a result of God's reluctance to forgive and his extreme anger towards us. The cross came as a result of God's mercy and grace and desire to see us restored and set free, even for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus and have messed up. But I also learned this, that forgiveness, restoration, and healing are products. In other words, they're the result of something. Something precedes them, causing them to be experienced. In a sense, they're a reward. Forgiveness and healing are a reward. Like a clean and orderly house is the result of deliberate and conscious hard work. My wife Mandy reminds me of this all the time. The clothes don't just wash themselves. They don't just get into the basket by themselves. The floor isn't just vacuumed miraculously. We don't live in Mary Poppins' lands. 
So to your orderly house is a deliberate effort. When it comes to forgiveness and healing and restoration, they are the result of deliberate and conscious confession and repentance before the Lord and acknowledgement of our sin. So God does desire to forgive. But confession and repentance and receiving forgiveness go hand in hand. God wants to do a deep cleaning work. He wants you to receive forgiveness. But there's something that precedes your ability to do that, and that is an acknowledgement of your sin and confession. Psalm 51, verse 3, David writes, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Psalm 32, he writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. As I sat in a place where I was sinning, and it sinned in a way that I never dreamt of sinning after I came to know Jesus. I could relate to these words of David when my very physical being was sapped of energy. And I learned then how very real the connection between the spirit and the physical are. And how what we experience in the physical is often as a result of our lack in the spirit. And how what we do in the physical can affect the spiritual realm as well. But David goes on to write, he didn't just experience those things, he says, but here's the caveat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you in verse 5, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, church, confession leads to forgiveness and healing. Confession, forgiveness are two beautiful realities in our lives. They're the two sides of the same coin. And as I read David describing his experience in keeping quiet, like I said, I could relate in so many different ways. As I stood on the worship team knowing that I was in a sexual relationship with a girl that I wasn't married to and wasn't supposed to be dating, I felt like such a hypocrite. As I delivered youth talks, as I came to church and went to prayer meetings and led the team and challenged them to be holy and righteous and to live out what they said, they had committed their lives to, I felt a lack of strength, strength draining. I felt a lack of anointing. There was guilt. There was condemnation. My mental health deteriorated. My sleep deteriorated. I felt so far from God that I wondered if I was ever, actually ever in a relationship with Him. And I got to a point where I wanted to leave ministry. Despite the calling, despite the sense of God's hand on my life previously I wanted to leave and I made every plan to leave and I tried to just slip I was like I'm just going to finish this year and I'm going to be gone I knew I needed forgiveness I knew I needed to confess but that seemed a bridge too far for me I was just going to sweep it under the carpet and slowly slip away pretend and deny it never happened but in the same way that God never let David get away with his sins so he was gracious and merciful to me and not letting me get away with mine for David, God used the prophet Nathan. And again, not going to go through the whole story, but God tells Nathan that David has sinned. And so Nathan comes to David with a story. He says, David, let me tell you the story. I want to know what you would do. He said, there's this rich guy. He's got a whole bunch of sheep, a whole bunch of lambs. But there's also this poor guy, and he's got one lamb, and he loves this lamb like a child, God's word says. He even has it in his bed. And he says, it was the only lamb this poor guy had. But then there was this visitor from town that came to stay with the rich guy. And the rich guy wanted to slaughter a lamb to celebrate this guy's visit. But instead of taking one of his own, he took the only lamb of the poor guy. David, what do you say to that? 
And as Nathan tells in the story, this is what David says. I solemnly swear as the Lord lives, the man who did this certainly deserves to die. And he must pay back four times the price of the lamb because he did this and had no pity. Then Nathan hits David between the eyes and he says this. You are that man. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken your sin away. You will not die. Again, you can go and read the details of David's sin and his response. But David encounters God in such a way that he cannot deny it anymore. And God rips open his world. For me, God was a little more tender. And my Nathan moment, my rip open moment was... Uh, on a young adult camp while I'm still living in this and we, we go on camp and actually there was a speaker from Cape Town, one of the churches there who came uh, up to East London and was speaking at our young adult camp. His name was Sean. Yes, Sean. And he carried a prophetic gift and it was the first time I'd ever received a prophetic word. It was the first time I'd ever sat under the ministry of somebody who carried a prophetic gift. And he was ministering at a young adult camp and I just thought, Lord, none of this is for me. I'm so condemned. I, I just, I'm going to pretend like I'm okay and serve and get this thing done. But like, I know what you know about me and what everybody else doesn't. And right at the end of his very first talk, the very first night of camp, he said, right, I have some words that I want to share with people here tonight. And I've asked your pastor and elders if I can share them. And so there's three or four people and, 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 and I want to make it a public thing because God has asked me to do that. So I was like, I'm going to the back of the room because this definitely can't happen. And if he does have a prophetic word for me, this is going to be bad. And he's going to share it with everybody. And I don't want that to happen. And so I sat at the back of the room waiting for him to begin his ministry. And the very first person he calls out is me. And he says, Roland, I have a word for you. Now, I've just met him. I picked him up from the airport. We went out to camp. Just met him. And I hesitantly, because now I can't get away, walk to the front, and I'm thinking to myself, it's over. And he asks me to kneel, and he just says, Roland, I have, I have this word from you from the Lord. This is the most emotional part of the message. Right? He says, God has a call and an anointing on your life to lead people in ministry, to serve him. You've got a call of eldership on your life to protect the church, to lead people. And he said, I see you running a race, and you're running it at a different pace. And we're all standing on the sidelines cheering you on, and God equips you for that ministry. It's emotional, not because I'm embarrassed of what happened. It's emotional because God's goodness in that moment was unbelievable. And as he's speaking this, and as he's sharing this, I'm thinking to myself, God, I don't deserve this. If only he knows, if only he knew. He would recant and take those words back. If only everyone here knew. Because everyone's like, yeah, awesome, that's great. And I'm sitting there and I'm weeping as he's sharing this because I know I don't deserve these words. And God pops this word into my mind as Sean is sharing this prophetic word with me from Romans chapter 2. It says, don't you know that the reason God is good to you is because he wants you to turn to him? That night I took my best friend Mark aside and I said to him, Mark, I need to share some stuff with you, buddy. Because God took this massive carrot, right? And he just, oh, cheesecake, let's go with cheesecake. And he dangled it in front of me. And I knew what God was saying to me in that moment. That, Roland, this is what I want you to walk in. 
This is what I want you to step into. This is the plan that I have for you. I want to release you into ministry. I want to set you a light for me. But you've turned away and you've turned your face towards the things of the kingdom of darkness again. And you're living in that. And I knew that in that moment was my moment to go, God, I'm going to take hold of what you have prophesied over me. And I'm going to step into that. But it meant confession. And the problem I faced was that confession was difficult. And so I took my friend Mark and I said, buddy, this is what's happened. I need you to hold me accountable. And he said to me, Rolls, I'm going to give you a week. We're going to pray for you and I'm going to journey with you. And we're going to fast and pray together. And I'm going, to let you, I'm going to let you prepare your heart for a week. But if in a week you haven't said anything, I'm going to the elders with what you've done. There was love. There was grace. But there was also truth. And the reason I felt so concerned, or the reason I felt that confession was so difficult was because of the shame and embarrassment associated with bringing one's failures into the light and exposing oneself. Not only to the gaze of God, but to the gaze of brothers and sisters who look up to you and expect certain things from you. And in whose eyes and mind you become someone that shouldn't fall this way. Or you at least expect that that's, or you think that that's what they think of you. So you elevate yourself into a position that you shouldn't hold in your mind, in their eyes, if that makes sense. And this process for many people in the church is made difficult because of the fact that we often too regularly view the body as a community of saints, perfected already, without flaw, without faults. The reality is, church, that we are a people who are sinners, saved by grace. We are saved and being saved. We are perfected and being perfected. We are being sanctified. Every single one of us is saved by the grace of God because of the goodness of God. But we too often think that everyone else around us is so far advanced in holiness that we are the ones isolated and alone in our sin. That we cannot bear to reveal our failures and our shortcomings to others because we imagine that other people are the ones that have stepped onto the road to holiness and we are the only ones that have not. So instead of confessing our sins, we hide ourselves from one another and live lives in veiled hypocrisy. But if we know that the people of God and believe it first and foremost in our hearts are a fellowship of sinners saved by grace, it becomes a little bit easier to step into the goodness and the grace of God and to bring what's in the darkness out into the light. I want to say this. The fear and the pride that cling to us like barnacles cling to other people as well. We just are too proud and we pretend like it doesn't happen to us and we don't want other people to know that it is actually true. And we need God's grace just as much as the person next to us. But here's what I found, that in acts of mutual corporate confession, we release the power of God to heal. And it's then and only then that we no longer carry on denying our humanity, but we actually embrace it and have it be transformed. Because to be human, this side of heaven, is to be full of flaws. And to need the power and grace of God to get through. So I want to just touch on this point and this truth that confession is both private and corporate. As I've been sharing, you might think, Roland, surely you didn't need to confess it to people. As you sit there, I know if you're sitting with the same or similar stuff to what I was sitting with, you're going, there's no ways I'm sharing with people. I don't have to share it with people. That is your choice, not mine. 
Isn't confession a private matter between you and the Lord, you might say or think? Isn't he the one who forgives you anyway? Why do I need to bring it to people? Well, the answer is this. Confession is both private and corporate. It's not a matter of it being either or. It's both and. I'm so deeply grateful for that ministry from Timothy or to Timothy by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where it says, For there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But I am equally grateful for the message in the book of James chapter 5 where it says this, Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Both realities are found in Scripture and neither one of them excludes the other. Here's what David says in Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Save me from blood guilt, O God. There's an acknowledgement of sin. There's a calling it out. There's a confession to God. And you might say, well, Roland, that proves the point that I just need to confess it to God. That's what David did. He said, David, God, before you and you alone, I said, God, I've sinned before you. What you don't realize is if you take that position, you're reading David's confession. It's more public than any of your sin has probably ever been made. You can go read a detailed account of his sin in 2 Samuel. David pens it and he says, God, I've done this. I'm guilty of blood. There's blood on my hands. Forgive me. Wash me clean. David's confession is before the Lord because ultimately healing comes from him. But his confession is also corporate. And it's because of the corporate nature, I believe, of his confession and his repentance that he experiences the healing that God intended for him to experience. So am I saying that every single sin has to be brought into the light and we need to preach it from the pulpit? No, I'm not even saying that if you're carrying similar stuff to what I carried that you have to come and stand up on stage and share that. For different people, there's different requirements and different expectations based on the authority and level of trust you've been given and the severity of it. Each, each sin and each confession will bring life, but will also bring consequences. And for people, it's different. And we will look at that just now. But you don't have to bring every single sin. Now, I don't have to phone the elders and go, guys, listen, I was driving to church and someone cut in front of me and I got really angry and sort of almost swore at them. Or, uh, you know, guys, I was asked and promised my wife that I would do the garden and, um, I told her that I wasn't feeling so great. It was actually uh, a lie, and I just wanted to watch the rugby. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have to phone everybody all the time and tell them about all the stuff. There is some stuff that we can take before the Lord. And the person who's known forgiveness, and as we know the release of God and healing from sin in our lives that we take to him privately, we, we need to celebrate that and rejoice in that. But there are other sins in our lives that we need a deep cleaning work from God. And it's those sins and you will know what they are. Whether it's alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual immorality, constant lying, theft. doesn't matter what it is. It's the nagging habitual stuff in your life that you know has consumed you. You are going to need to confess that to brothers and sisters because that's what God has established. How I knew that I needed to bring it out into the light was this, was in this way, and I'll just try and describe it to you. When I prayed, and I did, I begged God for forgiveness for what I had done and for what I was busy doing. And although I hoped I was forgiven, I really, I sensed no release. I doubted my forgiveness and even despaired at my confession, even though I knew the teaching of 1 John that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
I feared that perhaps my confession was made only to myself and not to God. No matter how much I confess, no matter how much I try to bring it to God in private behind closed doors, no matter how much as called a couple, we try to talk about this stuff and repent of it and set up boundaries, the sorrow of my sin, the guilt of my sin, the pain of my sin remained. The condemnation grew. I kept falling. We kept falling back into the cycle of messing up and then not wanting to and messing up and not wanting to. There was no healing. I'd given authority to the enemy. There was ground that I'd ceded to him and he had influence in my life that only God could break. And private prayer wasn't enough. Deep within me, I knew there must be more. I heard people saying stuff like this. You need to take your forgiveness by faith. Don't call God a liar. And so in an attempt not to call God a liar, I try to take my, my forgiveness by faith and my healing by faith. But my faith was weak. And that was the problem I had. I began to believe that I was unworthy of his forgiveness, that I'd slipped so far from his grace that I was irredeemable. I thought I'd exhausted all my options. But I hadn't exhausted all my options. I hadn't exhausted the resources of God. I need to step into that command from James. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And this is the key. How do you know whether you need to bring this into the light and confess it to brothers and sisters? Well, are you healed? Has God done a deep cleaning work? Have you received your gift, your forgiveness in such a way that you are healed? See, it wasn't so much forgiveness, the actual judicial forgiveness that was an issue from God. It was my healing. It was my understanding of my forgiveness. It was my receiving it and walking in it that was the problem. So the power of sin was in its secrecy, not in its exposure. And although I had confessed it to God, God had determined that there was a time where I needed to bring it into the light and confess it to brothers and sisters. And God has given us, brothers and sisters, for this reason. Point five, he's given us authority to forgive sin. This is a beautiful thing. Scripture teaches that the believers are priests before God. 1 Peter says this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Therefore, the followers of Jesus have been given authority to receive and to forgive sin in his name. In John chapter 20, it says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. What a wonderful privilege. Not only to receive that ministry, but to step into it as well. So I did that, but what I also realized was that receiving forgiveness and healing is a process. Point six, David writes this, cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. If you have children, you'll understand this very well. I have a son who gets dirty from head to toe. He's just got to look at the ground and he gets dirty. I have a daughter who wants to roll in the mud and in the sand. And you've just washed their clothes and you've just cleaned them. And you say, just kick the ball. I will just kick the ball. And somehow they come in with more dirt on them than there is outside. And part of the cleaning process is getting into the bath, lathering up the face cloth with soap, running water, making sure that they scrub themselves properly. It's not just an instant cleaning. There's a sense in which you start the process and you slowly become clean and washed. Mandy insists on buying white face cloths. And so we've had to throw many of them away. They're no longer white, they're brown. But it's a process. For David, it was a process. It was, wash me, Lord. We're being washed. And part of that process, obviously, is confession. But the other part of the process, and this is where it becomes difficult, is not only confessing it and enduring that shame and embarrassment, but it's facing the consequences. And the shame and the embarrassment is part of the consequences. And for me, confessing my sins to brothers and sisters was one of the most difficult moments of my life. 
knowing that I needed to confess and that confessing was going to cause me to face my sin and its reality was incredibly difficult. Understanding the seriousness of it, the scope of it. However, I got to a point, and I want to say this carefully, and I'll maybe say it again. I got to a point where my desire for forgiveness and freedom and healing and wholeness overcame my fear of shame and embarrassment. So my desire for healing and wholeness and to receive the forgiveness of God overcame my fear of shame and embarrassment. And although it was a time of incredible shame and pain and embarrassment, which were inevitable consequences, it was much more a time of massive victory, of breakthrough, of healing, and actually receiving and feeling forgiven. This was the most beautiful thing for me. People tell you that you can feel forgiven. They're not lying. There's a sense in which I felt a physical weight release from me. My eyes brightened and lightened. My countenance changed. My demeanor changed. My attitude changed. It was such a refreshing time, as well as one of the most difficult times of my life, sitting in the offices of different pastors and elders and speaking to them, confessing my sin and having them release me, released something in the spirit and over me that would have only happened through corporate confession. There were more layers that God was folding back, deeper levels of forgiveness that I needed to step into. Like I said, I had many face-to-face meetings with people that were filled with confession and sorrow and weeping and regret, but they were more so filled with truth and love and tenderness and grace and mercy. As tough as that season was, as tough as those meetings were, they were actually quite beautiful because it was bringing the sin into the light that caused me to let it go. Sin had lost its power and my spirit was humbled before the Lord. Bringing my sin into the light and confessing it to people and receiving the fullness of forgiveness from God caused my heart to break, but in an incredibly good way. It was contrite brokenness. And I resonated with the words of David in Psalm 51. It says, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. No, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Part of Receiving my forgiveness, like I said, was owning my sin for myself and facing the consequences. Because far too often we like to point fingers and blame others for our sin. Yes, I've done this, but it was because of so and so and such a thing. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, both responsible, but both blaming each other. Not being honest and not facing our sin prevents God from plumbing the depths of our depravity and actually bringing deep cleaning. Not facing our sin and not being honest about the brokenness in our lives prevents us from receiving the fullness of forgiveness that is ours in Christ. The other consequences for me were, like I said, the meetings with people and owning responsibility for my sin. But those meetings weren't so much a place where I was getting embarrassed and shamed. They were more so places where I could look into the face of somebody that I had really let down and expected them to really not like me but instead was met with mercy and grace and kindness and forgiveness and was opportunity more so than anything else to hear people say to me, I love you, you're forgiven. I love you, you're forgiven. Every meeting I thought was going to break me, every meeting built me up more and more and more. The worst meeting of the lot was with this young lady's parents who I went to supper with by myself. 
Some of the elders who were walking around with me were like, we can come with you if you want. I was like, that would be worse. Please don't. Went to a meeting with this lady's parents and sat down and had supper with them. And I didn't know whether I was going to walk out or be carried out. Right? And expressed my heart, shared the sin. And then there was a moment of silence where just the three of us sat around a table. And her father broke the silence and said, Roland, it takes two to tango. We forgive you. What's done is done and you can't undo it. But allow God now to restore you. And there was a sense in which that moment was one of the most incredible moments for me. There were many more meetings like that. I was asked to step off of ministry for a while. And that might sound terrible and harsh, but really it was a beautiful opportunity to consider and reflect on the privilege of ministry. And just how seriously God takes it. It was also a time for me that helped me to realize that my joy and my significance and my identity are rooted in God and God alone, not in the ministry that I perform and who I think I am in people's minds and eyes or who they think I am because of the ministry responsibility I carry. I was asked to step off of all leadership in any way for a season. And that was a beautiful thing as well because it reminded me that what we carry, we impart. Charles Spurgeon writes a book on leadership. He said, sometimes we can be like leaden pipes. And what he was saying was this. Back in the day, they used to use lead as water pipes because lead was malleable and it was cheap. And you could shape it and mold it however you want. And they lay underground leaden pipes through which water would flow. And the people at the end of the line, they only discovered much later, were dying because of lead poisoning. And so as the water flows through the pipes, so the water absorbs the lead and then poisons the people right at the end. And he was saying... For Christians who have never experienced the deep cleaning work of God and who are living in sin, unconfessed sin, habitual sin, we become like leaden pipes. What comes into us is pure and unadulterated, but what flows out of us is tainted by the stuff that we carry, and we end up poisoning people. It was such a convicting moment for me because I realized that I am a jar of clay that has in it a beautiful treasure. And my responsibility before my king who has given his life for me is to minister as purely as I can to people so that they may know him. And for some reason, God chooses to use me and use you. And God, I want to be pure. And I want what you put in to come out the way that you put it in. But I was a leaden pipe. And so stepping out of leadership and ministry was a beautiful thing because it gave me opportunity to work on my heart with the Lord and to be restored again. In all of this, church, I want to say to you, and I want to honor if they end up watching the elders at Sterling Baptist for the way that they worked with me, where they ministered to me, my friends, my colleagues, the pastors, the ministry leaders, and I've shared this with them before. The church know this about me, but just reminded again at the beautiful way that they dealt with this in truth and with grace. I was restored to ministry. I was restored to ministry before I came to Cape Town. For years, I served there, given leadership of ministry, and I treasured it more than I'd ever before. It was because of that restoration process, the grace of God and the wisdom of brothers and sisters in the Lord that I was able to step into ministry there and accept the call here at the end of 2010. It's because of that journey that God has given to me incredible ministry here because of the faithfulness of brothers and sisters there. This leads me to my last point and I will be quick. There is beautiful and abundant fruit that is produced through confession and receiving forgiveness. 
There's personal fruit, and then there's corporate fruit for other people. In the same way that your sin affects us corporately, so your healing and receiving of forgiveness affects us corporately. The fruit of forgiveness for you personally is the forgiveness itself. Or of confession is forgiveness. When David writes, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. If you had to ask David, if you had to ask me, I will say to you this one thing. Out of all the beautiful stuff God did, that is the one thing I treasure the most. That I was right with God again. That he had forgiven me and I felt forgiven and I stepped into the forgiveness and I received the forgiveness and God had done that deep work. That forgiveness was enough. I got to the point where I said, Lord, take it all away from me. I don't care what people think. I don't care what ministry. I don't care what I do as a vocation. I just want to be right with you again. And God did that and more. Because in Psalm 51, David goes on. This is more personal fruit for us. He says, let me hear joy and gladness again. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit. Just that can be articulated like this. When we confess our sin to the Lord and to brothers and sisters and we receive the fullness of forgiveness that is ours in Christ as we do that, joy and gladness are restored to your life. You don't have to fake it. Healing comes. Some of us are sitting with sickness and brokenness in our bodies and our minds because of kept sin. And we are too proud and too afraid, but God is saying, if only you would just. Our hearts are made pure. What gets put in is pure, and what comes out is pure. We become crystal conduits, or conduits of glass. It's pure and clear. Instead of leaden pipes. Our spirits are strengthened. There's a sense in which we can face each day. Because of what God has done. And our spirits being strengthened in him. We experience the presence and intimacy of God again. This was something that rocked my world. One of the worst parts about this. Was not the guilt and the shame I faced. Because of letting people down. But the lack of intimacy with God. And the lack of experiencing his presence. That's restored. And there's a sense of friendship with God is restored. The power of the spirit is released again. There's joy that's restored, and so we celebrate our salvation. We're proud of that again. We long to tell people, and so we serve Jesus wholeheartedly again. And then there's fruit for others. He says this in Psalm 51. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Sinners will turn back to you. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, O Lord, because my mouth will declare your praise. When you step into a place where you receive the fullness of forgiveness of God through confession, God takes your story and what the enemy intended for evil, he makes it and he uses it for his good and for his glory. You're able to stand in a place where you're able to teach people not from a place of hypocrisy or pride and arrogance, but you're able to teach people from a place of humility having walked the road, having been restored, having personally experienced it, and you're able to lead others into freedom as well because of what you've learned. You're able to teach and testify from a place of wholeness and freedom. God will anoint you and use you to lead people to Him. There's something that God does in the transforming of our sin into something glorious for Him that leads people to Him. God can use you again to bring people into life. 
And you will for the first time, if you don't know Jesus and you do this, or for a second time or for a third time, find again as you confess to the Lord and receive his forgiveness, the willingness to declare to the world just how great he is. And you'll be unashamed. David writes in Psalm 32, you are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Church, God did this for David and he did it for me. He can most certainly and will do it for you. I stand before you free, unashamed, unafraid, completely restored. Many people after the eight were like, wow, you're so brave to share that. I want to say to you, it is a non-issue for me. It is a non-issue for me. And that's how I know I've stepped into the fullness of God's forgiveness and restoration. I'm unashamed and I'm free. Not proud, but celebrating my weakness because in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. There is a sense in my heart that there are people who are afraid of the consequences and the shame of your sin. And you're afraid to step into the lights. Because in the light you'll be exposed. I want to say to you, you may be exposed, but it's in the light that you're going to receive the forgiveness that you so desperately desire and so desperately need. It's once you've done that that you'll be able to boast in your weakness because you'll see his strength being made perfect. So as we end off, I'm going to pray for us. Our time is up. I'm not going to call the worship team up. But I want to say this to you. We want to make ourselves available to help facilitate something like this for you, where you can be restored and where you can confess in a safe and secure place where you'll be treated with love, tenderness, compassion, and care. The elders, the pastors have willingly said that they will be part of whatever road it is that you need to be able to set, that you need to be set on and whatever road you need to walk. And so part of the way that we want to do that is if there's something burning in your heart, I'm not going to ask you to step up or put your hand up because we want to be wise about this. We also don't want you to run off to just anybody. You can go to the church website and you can grab any one of our emails and you can email us. Caveat though, Shells is going to be away. She's more than willing to be part of that. But if you're a lady and you want ladies to be part of this thing for you, Shells is available. Joe is going to be available. For the men, pick any of the pastors and we would love to facilitate a space where you can come and share with one or two people, the stuff that you've been carrying. And the goal is towards restoration, not punishment. The goal is towards deep cleaning, not shame, not ostracizing you, but to deep cleaning. And we will deal with it on a one-on-one basis, on an individual basis. We'll set up a meeting with you. We'll have a conversation with you. But the first step you need to do is take ownership for your sin and realize you need it and like I did with my friend Mark say hey hold me accountable make something happen and if that's all you do for now that's fine because we will help you to do the rest but until you've stepped into that place you're going to continue to sit with this thing but God desires to do a deep cleaning work right let's pray father I want to thank you for your word I want to thank you for the power of the spirit that's at work within us for your ability to deep clean, forgive, restore, and make whole again. Lord, regardless of what it is that people are carrying, sexual sin, alcoholism, drug abuse, God, it doesn't matter. Your blood cleanses. The power of Christ that work within us through the Spirit, Lord, is enough. And I pray that over your people, that there would be a hunger and a desire to be restored. 
that there'd be a hunger and a desire to have the valley of dry bones breathed back into life. Lord, I pray that you would use us abundantly, that you'd set us free, and that out of this church would flow rivers of life-giving water for the community around us and for the people we in contact with. May people be set free. Now, I pray against the enemy in Jesus' name, his lies, his desire to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Lord, his condemnation. I pray bring conviction. Bind the enemy in his condemnation. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, bless you, man. Send over to you guys.